Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Welcome in. Chris Allman with me, recovering from a, an Astros loss last night. Oh, really? So I if didn't he's, watch. If he's a little bit sour, if you say, like, what's up with Chris today? He has notes for Dusty Baker that have not been taken yet. And that's what it is. Maybe notes, he'll maybe he'll get around to them. My notes are the same as every other Astros fan's notes today. And it's one simple lineup change. <laughs> but alas, let's talk college football. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, a really crazy weekend. Uh, when you start out on Thursday night with Houston and West Virginia, and yeah, I thought that was going to be a good omen. Oh, yeah. it was not. <laughs> Houston and West Virginia, crazy ending. Then you have a crazy ending in Colorado versus Stanford, where they're up 29 to yeah. nothing uh, and lose that game in overtime. And Stanford, you know, honestly, for the most part, if you watch Stanford this year, they have no business on the field with even Colorado, who is above average, but yeah, not championship winning. Um, are they above average? They're yeah, average. I think they're, they're I'd average. say above average. Okay. They're above average, but like they're not, you know, the teacher would be proud of them that they're trying real hard, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not putting them on the honor roll. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, yes. most improved. There you go. Look, look at him. He's not, he's not, they don't need summer school anymore. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> he's not just, he's not just drawing pictures of kittens on his spelling <laughs> test anymore. <laughs> like just doing well. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, no, they're, 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 they're on the way up. Uh, and I, I don't know if you saw the Deion Sanders, uh, Keenan Thompson, you loved SNL it. sketch. It was loved. It. it was great. I'm actually surprised you didn't send it to me because you're kind of my, like yeah. my, you remind me when there's something really worth oh, seeing on okay. SNL. You're the thing the I that... usually sent you, they did right before he did came they? on. And you yes. didn't send it to me? No, I need to send it to you. That's just, what, let's just put joke swap up on the TV when, and watch it. Well, when he came in, he said, I like that black dad joke. That's what that, that was. was. Okay. That's what that was. Okay. So um, that's okay, exactly what that, that was. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was this really short one. But it was just that. Yeah. It's and the it best was, thing SNL does. And it was one way. It was just one way. <laughs> <laughs> they totally set Colin up. And <laughs> I love he was that. just, come on, it's the first episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so um, anyway, they um, uh, there was that game. Then we have Oregon and Washington, which was crazy. Uh, shout out also to Colorado State. Things happened in... The the mountain state is that Colorado? The what Keystone the, State. The Keystone State is that it? It's Keystone State, right? What is Colorado? I've already annoyed Jack. Yeah. Pre-show, I'm not going to bother him. Yeah. Again. In in the the Mile High State, whatever <laughs> it is, I don't know. I should the know these Centennial things. Centennial State. The Colorado's Cent the Centennial State. Yes. Huh. Okay. In the Centennial State, Colorado State also won on a hail mary this week. Um, 
Oregon lost by missing a field goal at the end uh, of the game, which could have probably been completely avoided had they um, made some better decisions on fourth downs. But, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, there's two extremes to this. There's Dan Lanning, who goes against the analytics by trying too hard. And then there's Jimbo Fisher, who goes against the analytics by not believing that they're a thing. Yeah, by completely ignoring them. He's like a flat earth truther when it comes to (laughs) analytics. (laughs) Look, there's... There's a mountain range around <laughs> that keeps us from all falling off. Pennsylvania's the Keystone State, guys. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking. Okay. <laughs> We're like dumb and dumber there. Right? This segment might be worse than last week's first segment where I think we took the pee your pants kid that, for ten that, minutes. That John Denver's full of man. <laughs> that's where we went. Uh, but Oregon and Washington was the I mean, no, no knock on any of the other really good games there were this week, but that was the game of the, the yeah. game of the year. Uh, and it was, you know, I think Texas and Oklahoma was the game of the year. Now Oregon and Washington is the game of the year. Yeah. And that one might hold up as the game of the year, the way it went down. And, you know, I like, I like games that don't change my opinion about either team. Good games, because my opinion about Oregon is still the same. They're still fantastic. They're yeah. going to win most of the rest of the ones, mm-hmm. if not all the rest of the ones they play. Washington, probably the same, although now this is the first kickoff of the Pac-12 gauntlet where they could start eating their own. Right. And yeah. But that game was was absolutely wonderful, and Rome Odunze, I mean, Michael Penix is the Heisman frontrunner, but he is because he's got dudes like Rome Odunze who are just smooth. Yeah, they are... You can't call them. Can you call them underrated? Not anymore. Or are they just underhyped? I think people Those are two different things. I think people were waiting to see because they yeah. had not. They had not. Well, it appeared they hadn't played anybody yet, but they had played Arizona, who is who just is, put a thrashing on Wazoo. Wazoo, yeah, with Fafita, their yeah. new quarterback. Yeah. So the the Pac-12. You know, <laughs> it's the most fun conference in football. The farewell tour is, is awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, but they, uh, that was the only really good team they've played. And I say that because I do think that Arizona is starting to clearly find itself. They've mm-hmm. lost a couple close games in a row to Washington and, and, and USC. And then they just drubbed Wazoo. So, um, Washington, though, hadn't done that. Now they've proven it against Oregon, who, you know, maybe because, like, Colorado is who they are, people thought, well, I mean, what they did to Colorado. But what they did do to Colorado was something special, considering that that team's – they held them to six points. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. There was nothing about that uh, Oregon-Washington game that made you walk away from it and think either – you didn't walk away from it from it and think that we had been, that, that uh, Oregon were frauds. There was mm-hmm. nothing about that. Yeah. Like you really, like you said, two weeks in a row, was Texas OU last weekend? Yeah. Two weeks in a row where the game of the day delivered. Yeah. And you did. You left that game going, I'd really like to see those two teams play again in their conference championship game. Yeah. Like you really badly want to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, elsewhere, USC has got problems on top of problems. It's not just the defense. Their offensive line got a little bit exposed. Uh, this week, you yeah. know, Caleb Williams threw three interceptions for the first time in his career. Uh, Notre Dame rose to the moment after getting embarrassed last yeah. week in Louisville. And I think that tells you what you need to know about what the future is going to be for Marcus Freeman, because 
He hasn't figured out who he is as a head coach completely yet, but when he does, holy cow. Because I think one of the things he's going to have to figure out is, how do you do this every week at Notre Dame, playing the schedule you're going to play, with also, you know, you can't, you know, you don't have standard Stanford level academic standards, but you're just one rung on the ladder below them. Yeah. And they're not going to change that. They never have and they never will. Right. Nor should they. But you can't like sit around and wait for it. Like you can't wait for the Rudies of the world that actually have talent to get in from Holy Cross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't do that. Rudy Rudiger ain't walking through that door, Marcus. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's not like. If I if I have three good semesters at Holy Cross, I can get in and walk on. <laughs> I feel no. like tell me if you think this is fair assessment of Marcus Freeman. He had those early last year. Like you can just disregard those, right? Yeah. Like that's growing pains right out of the gate. You make some mistakes, no big deal. I feel like we're really starting to see with Freeman where his floor is and where his ceiling is. Mm-hmm. Right? Like floor is we know he's a good coach. Now yeah. it's just a matter of degrees. He might, yeah, he might might lose a game to Marshall because he, you know, got caught a little flat-footed. Yeah. Things like that. But also that coach, Charles Huff, is one of those guys who's like, right. like you, okay, he lost to Marshall because he ran up against another really good coach and that guy caught him flat-footed yeah. and not ready. But he didn't lose to Marshall because he didn't take a knee or anything. Right. You know, like he, right. he, he lost to Marshall because – they weren't ready. That guy was, yeah. you know, they, they were. So you don't like, he's clearly really smart. He's clearly really, if you see the, some of the things they do in the off season, social media wise, yeah. he's kind of plugged into like how to make it fun. Yeah. And he seems like he's got a good vibe around Notre Dame, yeah. which can be, take it from me as a person who grew up uh, in the Catholic church uh, where Notre Dame is like always like, you, there's always somebody at your church like, Hey, you think you can go to Notre Dame? <laughs> I want, I don't really, I don't know. I, Indiana's kind of cold and, you know, I've gone to Catholic school my whole life. I thought, well, I tried something. Well, you should really, you should try Notre Dame. Is that really like in the Catholic church? Are they like, so I don't the, like to use the term groom. Uh, are they no, breeding? Are no, they? That's, that's not, not a good one either. Yeah. Uh, Here's the thing. Uh, my dad, encouraging? my dad used to say it. He goes, the reason Notre Dame can stay so consistently good is they have a recruiter in every town. Yeah, no, that's because fair. there's a Catholic church everywhere, right? right? So Jack, Jack knows what I'm talking about. Like there is, like no matter where you are in the country, there is a Notre Dame has a like a foothold in that church because there will be Notre Dame fans. Even though they didn't go there, they're just Catholic and they pick the football team that's the Catholic team. So that's what they do, you know. So it, it's not as big as it used to be, I don't yeah. think, because Notre Dame probably didn't win enough for it to stay at that level, but it's absolutely true. Like, most Catholics have a soft spot for Notre Dame unless they've got some other college affiliation that makes them not like Notre Dame. Are um, you? Did you go grow up like in Catholic school or Catholic church? All boys Catholic. Okay. Yeah, see, he was, monks. he was even, yeah, see, he was, like, I was, like, this part Catholic school. He was extreme, okay. like... Jack's our Catholic expert. Yeah. Good. We've needed hey, one of those on the show. I root against Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. Bad experience. Like, where I say, like, yeah, I'm into... High ex- school ex-girlfriend. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm into I'm into extreme sports. I once rode behind a boat in a water tube, <laughs> an inner tube, and then Jack's like, "Oh yeah, I go skydiving." Yeah. That's how. <laughs> Jack's like, "Remember that guy that jumped out of space and free fell to Earth? That's me. That's I'm you. the that's, Catholic version of yeah, that." Yeah, that's how that is. <laughs> yeah, that's how that is. So Notre Dame has always had that. Like I, you know, I heard it my whole life. Look, the, my the pastor I had growing up, Father Anglum, may he rest in peace. A wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, he would, they, uh, in Florida, I've, people who've listened to me on the radio or watch know this, know the stories, but I've, I've told it a hundred times, but I, I do feel the need to tell you. So in Florida, they have, um, three Saturday afternoon masses. And the reason they have that, the reason they gave, and the reason that the, the actual Vatican approved it, cause you're not supposed to have vigils until after sundown. So most of them are like five thirty, six o'clock on okay. Saturday, but this one's at three 30. The reason they gave is listen, we've got some older people, you know, sometimes it's just best to like get them in and get them out and move on. And Sundays become difficult because there's, you know, if you're in a home, there's less staff on Sundays and things like that. So that was the reason. And church was like, yeah, sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> That's not the reason that was a lie. So when all those people who made that story get to heaven, the first thing they'll have to answer to is like, you lied about the whole, this is the reason you need a 330 mass, right? And it was because of? It's because of the early bird special. Okay. That's why. Really? <laughs> yes. It's totally because of the early bird special. It's because people in South Florida, retirees, Catholic retirees in South Florida are not paying $25 for a steak. They're not doing it. You can go to hell. I'm paying $9.99. I'm getting here at $4.30. That's like. And I'm going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we, we talked. It's okay for the show to go off the rails yes. a little bit. And I think we're there. I don't know that. Yeah, you think? Yeah. I don't know that Baptists are that way about any school. Like you will not meet a Baptist in Kentucky who's a crazy go nuts Baylor person. No. Um, and, and it would certainly help Baylor if they were. Yeah. Like, again, there's only one of the school you can compare it to is BYU. Yes. Yeah. Like you, you, that's, that's it. Yeah. Now, um, I've had, I've had like a, a friend of mine who went to Wake Forest, also a Baptist school, come to a game at Baylor because his dad was a Baylor grad and be like, oh man, I, this is, this is totally my vibe. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a preacher now. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I think so. But so that priest, Father Anglum, he was the pastor. So most of the time he did not have to do the three thirty Saturday afternoon mass, but we had two priests that were from Poland. Uh, and we had a priest that was from Haiti. And so occasionally some of their outreach that they would do with certain people would be during like that Saturday afternoon, especially Father Ron, our, our priest from Haiti. Like he had a lot in South Florida. He had a lot to do with yeah. the Haitian refugees and sure, all that. Yeah. So sometimes Father Anglin would have to step in for Father Ron or Father Stammett and do the Saturday 3.30 mass. He would give, because he was such a huge Notre Dame fan. You want to talk about the most contracted sermons <laughs> ever. There's different, when they bless communion, there's different Eucharistic prayers, always the shortest one. No matter what time of the year it was and which one he was supposed to do, always gonna be the shortest one. And I mean, his sermons would be like, today we have the story of Jacob and Esau. As you know, Jacob was handsome and Esau was very hairy. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> All right, let's do the prayers of the faithful. <laughs> just on. Like, like, that's it. There's probably a great lesson in there. But he was just like, you know what? You guys have all heard it. You're 86 years old. Let's get on with it. And then he would 
dart. I would watch him dart across the street to the rectory where the um, <laughs> dart. where they were instructed to have the Notre Dame game already on the television downstairs when he walked in the door. Somebody is on YouTube right now, and their algorithm said, I think you would like this sports show, Triple Option. Yeah. And they clicked on it a moment ago to hear you doing Father Ron's impersonation, and they are so confused. Oh, fa- Father Anglin. Father, Father Anglin. Anglin. They're Father so Anglin. confused he's, as to what they clicked funny. on. He, he, I, I didn't even do the full Im- impression, because <laughs> it's an impression that no one would get unless you knew him. This started out as a Marcus Freeman conversation but yes, but if you just joined But us. he would do things like, we would talk, I'll just do it, him talking about Notre Dame football. <laughs> okay. Paul, how are you today? Did you see Ron Paulus the other day? <laughs> Quite the game he had. He threw for 212 yards, and I believe ran for another. <laughs> so when he was giving sermons, it was even funnier. Today we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> the loaves and the fishes. <laughs> he was Irish, and he had, but he had this real, like, he wasn't. It's an odd cadence. Yeah, it was so strange. But he was great. He was, he was amazing. <sighs> Um, but anyway, he's a huge Notre Dame fan. So again, back to it. They do have recruiters in every town. Okay. But like Jack's a different de- generation. Yeah. He never, he is not experienced what we did when we were younger, where 1988 was the last day or 87 was the last time they won the national title. Yeah. You know, so there was all this pageantry to them. They haven't won it since then. So we grew up with like, this is why. And so if you imagine growing up in that. Yeah. The atmosphere, like, yeah, there was always, like, what are your top four schools you want to go to? And if you didn't say Notre Dame, you're like, well, you can go to confession this week, and we'll get that worked out. (laughs) Everybody sins, son. It's fine. (laughs) I'm more confused by the Catholic faith now than I was 15 minutes ago. Oh, look. Man. Living it your whole life. <laughs> there's there's twists and turns you're you're never going to see coming. As I look out of the corner of my eye and see the play like a champion sign, yeah, I may smack that on the way out. Here's the deal. There's a reason the Da Vinci Code was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not oh. not because it was all straightforward. Oh my goodness. Um, but is that your week? That's our weekend recap. Yeah, that's our weekend <laughs> recap. No, but um, and there's look there's there's a couple we need to get to rapid fire before we. I'm fired up Go. about Carolina. Yes. I'm Tez very Walker. Fired up about that one. Tez Walker, three touchdowns in his first, like, he played a little bit a week ago just to kind of get his sea legs back. And then they ran him through the full practice. He completely changes yeah. what I think about that. Like, I knew they were, they're already ACC title contenders, but I thought, ah, do they have enough? Like, if you're playing against Michigan in a playoff game, like, if you beat Florida State and you're, and you're in the and you're undefeated in, the playoff. in, in yeah. the playoff, and you play Michigan. Do you have enough guys that are going to make Michigan hurt? Yes, yes, they do with Tez Walker. Like they, he is yeah. an absolute stud. Yeah, and no, like you can see why they fought so hard to get him there. Sure, not yeah. just because he deserved to be there, and the NCAA made a stupid arbitrary ruling, but you know, like he he's a fantastic player and you can see where his livelihood is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah. he deserved to be there. So, yeah, they fought hard for him. And good for Mac Brown, uh, you know, for finally having his guy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I bet you Appalachian State, who's the only close win that UNC's had, is like, really glad that he went in that yeah. one. We wouldn't have even had a prayer. What is your, what's been your experience? You could, you could have very few experiences, very bad ones, very good ones. What's your experience been with Mac Brown as a member of the media? Great. Yeah. Always, I mean, great. 
feel like he was always he's, great with the media. Just wondering fan, if that was your experience. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's a fantastic human being. I thought he was great in the media. Yeah. I thought he he's was really good, good on TV. He's good at everything he does. Yeah. I, I, honestly, if Mac Brown retired and like had a cooking show, I'm sure it would be great. <laughs> you <laughs> watch it. Whatever it would be, it, it would be great. He was... And that's why I think Texas realized in the immediate aftermath of firing him, knowing that like they needed to do something new. But Charlie Strong came in, you're like, oh, he's not going to be good at like all the little things it takes to be a coach at at that place. Yeah, like that's what I think Sark's actually kind of good at them. You know, Tom yeah, Herman wasn't, like but no. that's where that's where Mac, you know, excels. Yeah, is in the little things. The he's very sincere person. You know, yeah. although I will tell you this, that like, you know, we would go times when he was at Texas, like gaps where we wouldn't get him on the show or whatever. And then they would like, we would have like one of the kids they were recruiting from Temple or Colleen on and the kid would be on and then Mac would be on right after it. Yeah. The, Bill Little, may he rest in peace, just passed away. Uh, great guy. He was kind of the one you went to to set up Mac mm-hmm. uh, for a while before he retired. And you know, Smokey would call and say, hey, we're going to have so-and-so on the show this week. And you go, oh, okay. And then he would call back and go, what time is he on? He's like, oh, he's on at 4.30. Can we do 4.45? Yeah, sure. I mean, whatever time you want. He's a savvy guy, <laughs> man. Like, we can move the kid. Like, no, 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 don't move the kid. <laughs> yeah. He's a savvy guy. <laughs> yeah. So then he would call and be like, hey, you know, we were on the radio right after each other, you know, because he can't talk about him. Right. But that was just an, that was his conversation yeah. starter for the kid that day. Those little things, like, to me... You know, show like that's how Mac is. Like he, he didn't win the national championship by accident. When I was uh, when I was in newspaper and writing for the Belton paper is when they were recruiting Ramon's Taylor, who mm-hmm. was uh, on that 05. 05 national championship yeah. team. And he came to one of Ramon's basketball games. And I'm telling you, man, it's the only time I ever saw it in action. It's the only time I ever saw Mac in action. Just sitting with Ramon's family. I mean, he was the first guy Ramon's went to after the game. Ramon's gave him a big old hug, like. I saw it in action, and I was like, he made me want to play for him. Well, I was like, man, I would. Mac, g- Mac is in the Bobby Bowden school of, yeah. this is how you recruit. Like, he's the, he's the master of the living room, yeah. right? He's the one, you know, who's going to go do dishes after dinner, you know, who's, who's, yeah. who's not. I tell you what, speaking of religious, Bobby Bowden would have, Bobby Bowden would have been great anywhere. Bobby Bowden would have been great at a Baptist, like like a place like Baylor. Yeah. He well, would he, have killed He would come here. here and speak, and yeah. then everybody would be like, oh, that's the guy we needed. And like, well, sorry. <laughs> we, we needed him more because we're a school full of sinners. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we, believe me, you have no idea <laughs> the work he was doing. He was, gave him from free he was like Mother Teresa. <laughs> That's what he was doing. People thought he was coaching football. No. Nope. He was He's an actual saint. He was saving a literal people saint. for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think North Carolina could really, really do some things. Um, and then the other big top 20, 25 matchup was Oregon State throttled UCLA. Yeah. And I, that surprised me a little bit because I picked UCLA. <laughs> uh, it surprised me that that game was so in Oregon State's hands and UCLA, whose defense has been really good, could not contain them. But yeah, another like, but that's another Pac-12, you know, ridiculous, you know, Royal Rumble cage match they're going to have all year long. Sure, yeah. You know. How many teams do they have in the top 20 right now? I mean, it's changed since Saturday, but yeah. gosh, at one point, let's just real quick. As of right now, they've got five teams in the top 20, and UCLA is still 25. Yeah. And I'm not the biggest fan of polls, 
But if it is the barometer in the regular season, if it's just what we use, I'll give it a little bit of credence. But two in the top 10, four in the top 15, and six in the top 25, and still so many conference games left to play for them to, again, like you said, eat their young. Yeah. They're going to beat each other up yeah. for the next few weeks. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to get really interesting when it comes down to CFP time. You know, when you you potentially have – I mean, there might be one undefeated team, honestly. There might be one. Who do you think that would be? It might be Georgia. That's what I would say. it might not be because they just lost Brock Bowers. And, you know, when they've had these struggle times where they've got to get out of a funk, they're like, okay, well, what plays can we call for Brock Bowers? So he's going to be out for a little bit. He just had surgery. Oh, uh, on surgery? a high, high ankle sprain. Okay. So they expect a full recovery, but that's one of those. This is what I learned from covering the Cowboys. Whenever you hear for some time, then they have no idea. When you hear four to six weeks, it's really like eight to 10. Okay. You know, because they're oh, four to six weeks. Like, for like sometimes it's four to six weeks, and legitimately it's four weeks, and the injury wasn't as bad as they thought. But every time I heard four to six weeks in the Cowboys, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Demarcus Lawrence has been out four to six weeks nine times in his career, <laughs> and it's never been six. It's never. He's missed the full season with a four to six week injury. Yeah, like oh well, get to that six week. Turns out, oh, it's worse than we it's thought. Four to six more. Yeah. You know, so that's. I, I think you're right. I mean, because I don't, I don't know that the if if I don't think the SEC is as good as it has been advertised in the last few years. Well, it's or, not. It's not. It, that may be true, or also I, it may be optics. I think because there's so much attention being paid to the fun of the Pac-12, mm-hmm. we might be we're just kind of forgetting that it's yeah. a good conference, but not as good as it used to be. Yeah. And Alabama's evidence of that almost every week. Well, look, it's not as good. The transfer portals hurt it. Yeah. Um, you know, like you, you can't. Now they're more equipped to weather the storm than anyone else, but the conference that's benefiting the most from schools like. Georgia and Alabama being down is the Pac-12 because, you know, Bo Nix would be maybe the best quarterback in the SEC right now if he had stayed. Well, I don't know, because if he stayed at Auburn, he wasn't going to have the coaching that he had. Right. But Bo Nix, one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, well, he was an SEC guy. So, and that's, he's not the only one who's gone over there that's found success. So Bo Nix is always my litmus test for how long guys are staying in college now. Because I remember seeing maybe a season opener when he was at Auburn. Mm-hmm. And I watched it with my pregnant wife. Uh-huh. And I now have a four-year-old son. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, that now I'm like, Bo Nix is my guy that makes me go, geez, guys are in college for a long time. Yeah. And he hasn't even been in college the longest. No, no. And I think that's maybe about to shake itself out now that COVID years will be over. But, yeah. Um, and he'll be, he'll be in the NFL next year. Yeah. So uh, when we come back. There are two extremes of this topic. There's the Dan Lanning, Dan the Torpedoes, I'm going with my gut extreme. And then there's Jimbo Fisher. Um, I'm in a bunker. Don't. We're not moving. All this will pass. I'll figure it out. I'm not going for it. I'm not going to use three timeouts with two minutes and 47 seconds left. And Tennessee about to punt to me because we're going to get the ball at the 12-yard line. And I'm afraid of 88-yard drives. I, He's like, no one can do that. No one can drive 88 yards for a touchdown. Like, That's insane. No. Um, sometimes I do think people are victim of watching only the games that they're involved in. Um, it happens to sports writers a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
It happens to coaches too, I think. Because if Jimbo Fisher like turned on the television after an AM game, just say, like, I wonder how the rest of the world does this, yeah. he'd be like, What sorcery is this? He's watching, he's watching <laughs> Michael Penix. And he's like, what, what how's he moving so fast? <laughs> that was three plays. <laughs> There's still a minute left on the clock. What happened? He's completely befuddled by how Dylan Gabriel won that OU Texas yeah. game. So like, he did what? I don't know. Hold on. There's camera tricks, right? <laughs> Special effects. Those are the big, they got, we need some of those. Get, get. He's the first ever sports hoaxer. Yeah. He's get, like, nah. Get Lucasfilm on the phone. We want some of those high dollar special effects that Oklahoma and Washington have. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about the extremes, Jimbo Fisher and Dan Lanning. This is the Triple Option on 365 Sports. If your business is like most, you need things done quickly. But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, metro ethernet, waves, dark fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable, so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Alongside Chris Allman. And Chris, we've seen in the last couple weeks, we've seen Texas A&M do it twice, where being too conservative lost them a game. And then we saw Oregon, where being too aggressive lost them the game. Now, I don't criticize Dan Lanning as much for going for it all of those times. But two of those times that he kicked field goals, he would not have been in that situation and could have punted at the end. But you can be too aggressive and get yourself in a pickle where you ignore the analytics too much on either extreme. Yeah. And as we've seen with our political spectrums, living in the extremes only makes you lose. It's true. Yes. If you live in the extremes, you're only going to lose. Whatever it comes to in life. Yeah. Um, like, take this lesson away. If you live in the extremes, yeah. you're only going to lose. Yeah, let's all just live in the middle. Stuff gets done in the middle, man. Yeah. <laughs> just be comfortable in the middle. Life moves on. Annoyances are just like minor. Yeah. They're not major. They're just like, oh, yeah, man, it's going to take 20 minutes to get my car done. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> can I ask you a question? I don't want to be the, uh, I don't want to be the antagonist, but when we were talking about discussing this too conservative and too aggressive. Let me ask who determines too aggressive and too conservative. Is it the yeah. analytics? Is it the I numbers it is- that say on fourth down, and talk to me about analytics okay. in that. Is it down and distance? Is it time of game? It's all, it's everything. Okay. So where these, these things weren't really readily available before. Right. Because 
there weren't computers that you could put them into and groups of people that would kind of have this idea. You kind of have to have a guy, like, you know, in baseball it happened with Bill James, right? Uh -huh. So Bill James was the guy. Mm -hmm. And then he begat this whole, you know, world every of... Every GM in baseball let's, now. Every GM in baseball uses analytics because it, well, it's smart. You can't just go by analytics. Sometimes it's, you know, I know this guy is one for eight against this guy all time. Yeah. But... You know, the pitcher's curveball's not working, and he hits 350 against curve. Like, he, I think he's going to hit – if he throws that curveball, he's going to hit one out. Or he's, he's due for, for just – this is the time. I feel it. You, you have to trust your gut. I think that's that, – the way I like where Dan Lanning uses it is that he trusts his gut, but he also has analytics in mind and goes, okay. Now, against Washington, he just went against it one too many times. And really, I think the problem with Oregon wasn't that they went for it a couple of those times. It was the play calls. And I saw this early in the day with Florida State. They didn't pay for it at all. They won 41 to three. And they were doing that because they knew they were going to win 41 to three. They just they just were feeling it. But they went for it in a couple of fourth downs. And the plays that they called, that Mike Norvell called in that game against Syracuse, were, were low percentage plays. Like they weren't, you know, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, and Oregon did this. The one of the plays at the goal line was a just a, a one man option play. Man, if you're gonna go for it at fourth, fourth and three, at the four yard line, man, you got to get more than one guy involved because you got to give yourself room for creativity. And you have Bo Nix, one of the most creative quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. And the plays that they called in those fourth downs were all this is the only thing that can work on this play. So if Washington reads it the right way, which they did every single time, then you're screwed. There's no room for improvisation. You're, you're not letting – if you're going for it on fourth down and you're confident, the reason is because you have Bo Nix who's back there. You have to give him the option to be Bo Nix. Yeah. Like, don't – yeah. Don't tell Picasso to paint squares. Like, let, let him go be Picasso. Yeah. And that's where they messed up. Not in the fact that they went for it all those times, although the last one, punting would have been really smart because even if you had a touchback, they have to go a lot longer. Yeah. And what do you think drives that? Do you think it is for a head coach, like let's say you're Dan Lanning and you've got the headset on and the mm. decision ultimately falls on you, right? This is mm. not a coordinator who's got total autonomy, right? I'm assuming yeah. Dan Lanning's going to make the final call. What do you think drives over aggression? Is it, do you get caught up in the moment? Are you aware of what people might say about you if you well, the get great, too conservative? The great thing about Dan Lanning is I don't think he cares what anybody says about okay, him at so, all. Right. Um, or I mean, or he does care, but like fuels it differently. Yeah. But he, in the moment, excuse me, in the moment, he's just coaching how he's coaching. Okay. Right. And he he's aggressive. He got he got, and you have that ego in your mind of like, look, I'm I'm the head coach at Oregon because my defense won a national championship at Georgia, and I'm here for a reason. So I'm going to be me, which I think is great. Sure. Yeah. But uh, sometimes you do need to like just take a step back, and I think that and he. Here's the deal. He makes the field goal. He's not wrong. Right. It worked out for him. Yes. But he also then would have to go look back and be like, man, could have not let that one come down to that. So the decision, the the determination that he's over aggressive is really just because of the end result, right? Like it's uh, I wouldn't say the same thing if they get because you would be like, well, I kind of got got out of that one. Yeah. You know, if got bailed say, out. Say 
Washington goes all the way down the field and gets to the two-yard line and, you know, it's sputters. Well, then your defense bailed you out of that dis- decision. Right. But they didn't, like, you, you're two yards away from where it would have been like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, you also, I think he didn't, he was, it's a weird thing because you're taking into account two things. One, we could end the game right now. Two, I don't, and I, and I, I want to end the game right now because I don't want to give the ball back to the Heisman Trophy front runner and his stable of wide receivers that would, you know, make anybody like Kirby Smart jealous. Yeah. You know, like even him. Yeah. Like I don't want to do that. So it's just that balancing act. So I would take being too aggressive over what's going on at Texas A&M right now, which has them doing a different kind of math is how do we, how do we get $95 million together and pay this out? <laughs> yeah. Because that's the discussions. Like, I don't know anything. I'm going to preface this by saying this. Yeah, I did um, see you tweet that this weekend. Like, it might be time it to, might start. to start the clock. Because yeah. this is – like, Sam Kahn wrote an article about it in The Athletic. I'm sure we'll have him on the show later this week um, uh, on, on, on 365 Sports. You see what it is. Like, there's no more if, – if this was a scientific experiment and you were trying to, you know, have a drug that cures migraine headaches – You'd be like, well, this isn't it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've you've seen enough. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't cure migraine headaches. Yeah. It's not a cure. You're gonna have to move on. Um, now, where AM is paying the prices, not looking at where Jimbo Fisher was in the moment in 2016 when they or 2017 when they hired him, and looked at what he had done. Yeah. And they are getting somewhere in the middle of that at AM. Yeah. They are paying. Rolls Royce prices for Kia performance. And that's just how it is. There goes our shot at Kia as a sponsor. Look, (laughs) I think even Kia would tell you we don't have those features. What if they did? If I want, if they were like, no, 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 give us a second. If I I walked into Kia and said, I would like to give you $185,000 for a car, they'd be like, you mean four cars, yeah. five cars, a, a fleet six of, of them? You'd like, like to buy a fleet? Are you, are you buying some for a company? What? <laughs> Not just one. Like I, I, would, uh. I, I would like your car <laughs> that is the absolute creme de like leg room upon leg room. They'd be like, we're Kia. Like, <laughs> Great. That'll be $26,000. Do you, did you have septuplets and they're all turning 16 at the same time and they all get their own car? Like, what? Why are you here? <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm. I'm curious about. Curious about. Oh no, my. I. I think they they are going to start having that discussion because the other fact that Jimbo Fisher cannot avoid is that Texas is coming in, mm-hmm. and that's who all your alumni care about, even if they said they didn't, and. What? What is your Texas is coming in loaded for bear. They would be Texas would be one of the best teams, if not the best team in the SEC this season, if they had started yeah. this season. Okay, so let me ask you, because I think you probably I'm not saying you know this definitively, like you're not breaking news, but as someone who's got their finger on the pulse of of the industry, so to speak, 
How quickly was the first time someone did float the idea of like, this is not our guy? Is there any type of... Well, it's been going on for about a year now. Okay. So, so it wasn't 2018, right? No. It wasn't like a no. one bad loss and it some was, booster was like... No, it was... I want him gone. Okay, he's got to get... The recru- The problem is, is that Jim Bro's recruiting to a level that Kevin Sumlin could only have dreamed about. Mm-hmm. He's getting top five to 10 classes all, all the years where Kevin Sumlin had one that cracked into the top 10. And then much like the, the one that Jimbo had that was number one, half of them all left. Yeah. And which is kind of it, history repeats itself in different levels of, of crappy for A&M fans. And when you get the number one recruiting class, oh, that's amazing. Okay, finally. You've shot past Alabama and Georgia and LSU. When, that, when those guys are juniors and seniors, watch out. But then you've got a coach who is not living in the now schematically yeah. and the way that he coaches games. So he's got, again, to go back to a car analogy, he's, he's got like Ferraris and Lamborghinis that he's driving the speed limit with. Okay. You know, like you, you what are you doing? Yeah. If you really do, and... I posted this question to Craig and Smokey and Garrett on our text yesterday. If you asked most coaches in the in the top, even in the top twenty-five, if you took the coaches in the top twenty-five and said, "Would you, if I picked your staff up and dropped you into College Station right now, and picked him up and dropped you into their staff, how many games would you win that with that roster?" And most of the coaches in the top twenty-five would say twelve. <laughs> I mean. Bye. So let me ask, this, this is a follow-up question. This is kind of in two parts. Who does this well? Who really does aggressive at the right time, conservative at the right time? And it, to me, it would need to be someone who's actually had to make that decision in a game like Lanning did, I, a I, number seven versus I, number eight game. I, I, well, I mean, I think the, the guy who's really perfected it is, is Nick Saban. Sure. I mean, he knows exactly when to do everything. Yeah. And of I course, like- now granted, he's had so much talent that sometimes it's not even a, a worry about it. Yeah. Um, I think Kalen DeBoer does it well. The Washington's coach. He clearly yeah. made the right decisions the other day. Um, you know, Kirby Smart has done it well. Um, you know, uh, it's not like... I think to answer that question... Oh, look, I'll tell you who done it, who's done it well really over the years is Dabo Sweeney has done it really well. Yeah. Now he does not have the roster that could do that today, today like the, right. the, the same efficiency that he did before. But, and His part of the reason, did. yeah, you, when you have the tell, like the reason that Dan Lanning can be aggressive, look, Dave Aranda did it well in 2021. Right. He did great. You know why? Because he knew he had the roster to do it. Yeah. So when you have the roster to do it, you're not just taking a willy nilly chance. Right. That's where I think Jimbo Fisher loses sure, it is because he has got, like the guys who can do these things and he only does them when his hand is totally forced. Yeah. Like you have to go for it on this fourth down because if you don't, the game is over. Right. And so and it's not even just that like, it's not just fourth downs, it's timeouts or it's, it's third down and mediums where he just goes, ah, we're just on the wrong side of the 50 here. I don't want to get too aggressive. And you're yeah. like, well, you have Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith and like, you know, these you know big tight ends, Jake Johnson. Like you've got guys who can go up and make plays. You've got running backs. You've got like Ruben Owens, the number one running back in the country last year. Like figure out a way to get him more involved. You've got Le'Veon Moss, really good running. Like you've got players who are good players. Create something for them to go make a play. Yeah, 
Evan Stewart was the number one wide receiver in the country. He's going to be, he's going to be talked about next year, probably like Roma Dunze and Marvin Harrison Jr. All these guys are right now. He's a beast. Go let him be a beast. You know, don't is. Don't be Professor Xavier and leave the X-Men at the mansion, man. <laughs> Let him go wreak havoc. Is he is he putting any kind of governor on Bobby Petrino? Does Bobby Petrino have a more riverboat gambler than I think I think the governor he is putting on Bobby Petrino is that Bobby Petrino calls the offense, but when it comes down to when you punt, when you use timeouts, well, it's not up to Bobby Petrino. Yeah. That's up to Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. And Jimbo Fisher could just say, hey, Bobby, I want to go. Do we want to go for it here? And Bobby goes, yes. You know, um, and again, my, my experience is limited to being here for a long time, but I do know that, you know, when Jeff Grimes told Dave Aranda, hey, I'd like to go for it here, you know what Dave Aranda said? Yes. Yeah. When Kendall Bryles told his dad, yes, I want to go for it here, same with Felt Montgomery, okay, because that's why they're there. Yeah. Now, sometimes the head coach has to go, no. We're not going to do that here. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's think about this because your job as the head coach is to see the whole picture. That's what the offensive coordinator's job is to see that picture. Yeah. That's what you want him thinking about. You want him to go, 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 go. You know, Dan Lanning was always going to go for those. Yeah. And Will Stein's up there. And, like, the, the communication that's coming up between Will Stein and Dan Lanning on that offense is, let's call better plays when we do that. You know, but even now, Jimbo Fisher – like a commonplace thing to do in the NFL and in college and heck in high school. Now I see it. I saw it all the time in high school. If you got fourth and six at the 38 yard line, you might as well go for it because if you gain no yards, you've only given up 18 yards of field position. Yeah. And if you get the first down, then you still have the ball. Yeah. Because most of the time, if you're going to punt from the 38, the ball's going in the end zone, but you have to have a punter on top of punter to cough and corner those kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that those are the things that he's not doing because old school football told you that, well, I run this offense and they run the same offense and we're just going to knock each other in the dirt yeah. until, until one of us kicks a field goal. <laughs> and like, that's, that's which is going to lead to our discussion about Iowa and the last one is eventually you have to, you have to open things up a little bit. You cannot... You cannot just keep, you know, which is why I think the clock has started on, on Jimbo because he's clearly shown, okay, you made me hire an offensive coordinator. I hired Bobby Petrino. Well, that's not what really they wanted. Yeah. They wanted you to do hire a young and up and comer like right. Will Stein yeah. at Oregon. They wanted you to hire the next wave. And you said, all right, well, who can I get? Who's, who's the opposite of the next wave? And not that Bobby Petrino isn't a brilliant coach, but he comes with baggage. Yeah. And he's got a lot of skins in the wall. And he's made their offense better. But also, if you're going to do that, if you're going to bring in Bobby Petrino and then be like, well, I'm going to give you 90% of the control. But the other 10% is really what's honestly been holding us back in the first place. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. And so... Those are the things that have held them back. Now, now they just have to do the calculus on... You have to buy out a guy at $95 million because you, you gave him the best contract in the history of contracts. Sports. <laughs> like, oh, you, you know, good. It looked like, you know, I'm just curious. Um, it's 2017. I've noticed that FSU has the worst offensive line in the country the last two years for a school that's 
how it is. How did, how did that happen? You know, didn't ask that question, did you? Hey, uh, how, did you, how did you go from winning the national championship to where everybody's going to be kind of fine in a year or so once you're gone? How did that happen in four years? Wouldn't you love to be, and wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? Perhaps you have been in on conversations amongst really influential decision makers, but I really would love to oh, sit I, like, and, and hear how that decision is ultimately made. What the data they're looking at that says, this is absolutely the right guy. You know, um, some of it is just overall, like, here's the other thing that A&M doesn't have to worry about when it comes to their fans. They're always going to go. They're always going to go. Yeah. Nebraska is the same way. Yeah. They're always going to go. So attendance is not your, your bellwether. Other places, you run into a dangerous amount of like, well, I'd like to keep this guy, but I don't know if next year we're going to sell enough tickets to justify me keeping him. Yeah, Baylor's probably got a little bit of that. Exactly. Yeah. Because their fans have responded with the, like, if things don't go even moderately well. Yeah. Like if there, there's a bit of a, I think it happens. I've seen it happen here. It happens probably everywhere, but Baylor is the one where like, it should go exactly as I want it to, or, I, and it should be at the time I want it to be yeah. and the weather I want it to be. Yes. I'm not going to go. Yes. <laughs> I want 60 points at two 30. I want it to be 68 degrees outside. Other than that, I'm not going. Yeah. That's more accurate than probably. I mean, people P realize. Yeah. I mean, it is, there's, and yeah. that's the, a, a larger section of the fan base within Baylor than maybe some of the other percentage-wise. My wife gets furious that they would play at 11 o'clock on homecoming because she's like, she, she's like, TV network should understand how important the homecoming parade is at Baylor. And I'm like, that's funny, hon. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think anyone at a TV network knows Baylor but, has a homecoming parade? Let me tell you how they feel about parades. They finally, <laughs> after years, stood up for the Rose Bowl and said, you're in or you're out. Parade be damned. And that's the proudest I've ever been of a group of people <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know <laughs> and have made other bad decisions. That's the one I agree with. Parade be damned should be the name of your memoir when you write <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> Look, I could go, I could go, I could do the, like a solo mission to Mars and back. And if they came and said, we'd like to throw you a parade, I'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> you absolutely are not. We are not doing that. Didn't Neil Armstrong get a parade? Yeah, he did. That's that, parade worthy. The, that was the last time we needed one. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else, he's already done it. You don't, you don't need another parade for the next group of people who did something that Neil did. I know you don't remember this, but at our previous media stop, when the Baylor women won the national championship, you guys, I was there with my family at the parade, and you guys called in to like get an update on oh, the parade. I remember. And it was like, what's going on there? And I was like, uh... <laughs> It's about what you think. Yeah. No, a lot I, going I, on. I remember because I'm the one who had to call you and then sit there and go, so are there uh, like cars yeah. driving in a line? That sounds like a parade to me. That thing ran out of steam so fast. Like the interview that I think Smokey was like. No, it, it would have been Tom. No, no, no. This was in 2019. Oh, the, oh, the last one? Yeah. yeah. I think Smokey oh, was he like. He also did that to spite me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Chris, uh. You want your little girl to grow up and play basketball one day? Like that we were so yeah. out of questions after yeah. about 90 seconds. Yeah. And that's parades. Yeah, that's parades. <laughs> that's how they are. Real quick segment, we come back entitled, how does Iowa keep doing this? And why are we letting them? <laughs> they can't this. keep getting away with it. <laughs> yeah. This is the triple option on 365 Sports. Uh
If your business is like most, you need things done quickly. But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, Metro Ethernet, Waves, Dark Fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier-grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Welcome to the Triple Option. We call this segment, Why, How Does Iowa Keep Doing This and Why Are We Letting Them? Yeah, I started perusing Iowa's schedule throughout the previous two segments. So if you've noticed why I've been yawning so much, <laughs> it's because we decided we were going to talk about Iowa football. I, look, I love a great defense. Nothing is, is like more exhilarating than watching a great defense knock people around. Except for the fact that when that great defense does that, and then they get like two minutes to have some water, and then they have to go do it again. Yeah. Like, here's what I'm not even saying for me as a football fan for Iowa's defensive players yeah. that are pouring their blood, sweat, and tears onto the field to stop these teams and crush them into a fine powder, for you not to give them like two completions in a row is just insulting not only to them, but the entire sport of football. Look, Walter Camp is dead. He's been dead for a long time. Uh, when, here's a little historical note for you. Okay. When football was under attack in the early part of the, of the 20th century, because people were dying in it, uh, because it was just yeah. violent, Teddy Roosevelt loved the game enough to where he got a council together and they, they finally put together a set of uniform rules. On said council was Walter Camp, who, who has awards named after him, was pioneering football coach and all that stuff. But he was only a pioneer insofar that he was one of the first football coaches and helped do those rules, but he thought the forward pass should be illegal. <laughs> he thought it was cheating. <laughs> so, Is there a Kirk Ferentz tie in here? Kirk Ferentz may not even be Kirk Ferentz. He just might be Vampire Walter <laughs> Camp. <laughs> because it is so bad. It is so bad. Yes, and you can have, you can have an explosive offense and not throw it 100 times a game. You can run it a lot and be explosive. Yeah. If you run it correctly and run certain schemes, they're not doing anything of the sort. They yeah. are just trying to get back on defense. Yeah. And if the ball happens to find the end zone, that's excellent. Yeah. But they don't really appear to be, other than someone's contract stipulation, they don't really seem to be aggressively in pursuit of the end zone. No, and look, they're going to play Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska, all of whom 
don't have pro- like this was the prolific offense that they were going to play, and. After Penn State, who beat them 31 to nothing. So you know what's going to happen when that Big Ten title game runs around. They're either going to play Penn State again, and the same thing's going to happen again. Yeah. Or they're going to play Ohio State and Michigan, and the same thing's going to happen yeah. then. So the Big Ten, thrilled that they're not going to have this format anymore. So that when it comes time to turn on the Big Ten title game, it's not going to be the team from the East a billion, <laughs> Iowa six. And then you have you have people like, this is good old fashioned old school football. No, it's not even that. It's worse than old school football. It's worse. Is okay, is there an actual question as to why? Like, is there a question why why has there not been some forward progress? Ne- nepotism? Is that what I mean, it is? It, I mean, it's, it's got to be what it is because. But why is Brian Ferentz so married to this? That's what. That's what nobody knows. Me. Spite. <laughs> I mean, hey, I've seen guys manage American League Championship games series out of spite. So yeah. you can certainly offensive coordinate out of oh, spite. I, th- I think. I think because he's, you know, you can get a ladder and climb up whatever it is. He, you know, yeah. He said uh, he is doing this out of spite now, and again, much like I said to Jimbo Fisher. Show up at a convention, sit down and listen and find out like what these things here. They just watched and shut down Wisconsin's offense. Now, granted, uh, good friend Tanner Mordecai, Midway product, broke his hand. So that really set Wisconsin back. Although, had he finished that game, I don't think they would have scored like 30 points. I think that they had a much better chance at breaking it open and, and, and winning the game because they only had to score 16. So yeah. could they have scored 10 more points? I think so if Tanner Mordecai is playing. But you just can't I – like, I don't understand why you're not going, oh, look what – like I'm watching them on film. You watch Penn State on film. Why would you not go, hey, I wonder if we can do any of that? Yeah. Just any of it. Yeah. Did, is there some old antiquated argument about the conditions – like, is it something about well, the majority I, of the season being played in cold weather? I, I do think that you have to be. We had Matt Rule on the show last week, and I asked him about how much do you look out in the future and say, okay, here are the offenses that are coming into our league, the schemes that are coming into our league. How do I adjust to fit what I do well into competing with them? I said, look, there's going to have to be a certain part of our offense that has to account for playing here in Lincoln and mm-hmm. playing in the places that we play. But you have to – you can't just have a, you know, this is what Nebraska is going to do no matter where we go. No, you have to be more malleable to that. Yeah. Because, okay, when Nebraska in the old days, when they were the big eight, well, the other seven teams were pretty much running different variations of that offense. Yeah. So they didn't have to worry about that. But now when you're in the big 18, things are going to be different. You have to account for the variety of things you're going to see. And that's what I think Iowa's going to have to do. So, yeah, I think there's some of it like, look – you're really only going to win 10 games at Iowa or more if you have an offense that accounts for the fact that you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do every week. Yeah. So you better be able to do that. But this has doubled down on the, we'll be fine in an like Arctic snow blast as opposed to like, it's just kind of chilly. Right, right. I, I understand adjusting your offense for your talent uh, and maybe even for your environment, right? Like mm-hmm. I've seen it, high school and college are different animals, right? Mm-hmm. High school, you, 
you got the kids of the families that live there. Yeah. College, I feel like you. Well, when you, you can, can go pick them. That's what I'm saying. You could. You could try and have some different talent. You just can't say, well, this is the personnel we have. This fits us best mm-hmm. because you can change the personnel. Yeah. And so. No, you can't like, again, if you're, if you're in Mark, Texas, like, you know, you run the offense that Mark, yeah. Texas gives you because yeah. you're going to, you know, it's a small town, yeah. you know, like the, in Sandusky, Ohio, like this is what you run because yeah. in this school district, this is, this is who's been birthed to you. Yeah. Like you can't just change it. It's in fact, it's against the rules to go and try. Right. So if you are, if you're Iowa, like that's the other thing is that you could have said, all right, we're going to recruit. We know that we're not going to go out and recruit Carson Beck, you know, that's a Georgia or, you know, Caleb Williams or those guys. Right. But there's plenty of guys who live in the middle of that, that play at Iowa. Yeah. You know, um, look, I'll just give you an example of across the state. There's Brock Purdy's that like Brock Purdy's not the only Brock Purdy that's out there. Right. There's plenty of guys with his skill set. Now yeah. he's taken it to a level now in the NFL that's surprising a lot of people. But yeah. like if Iowa State can get a Brock Purdy, sure. then so can you. Or even going back further, Seneca Wallace was like a really athletic electric player for his time. Yeah. It's not like Iowa is just boring now people. part part of that might be just because they win the Cyhawk so much they don't respect anything that Iowa State does but sometimes you can be like ooh, hey you know hey it's two three, o'clock 300 yards of offense in a game I know it's two o'clock <laughs> Sorry. Jack's probably waving at us he is he has given us the full lasso yeah well once I finish my thought we'll go okay but yes I'm about sometimes a, I'm about it's about clock. Re- sometimes it's about respect okay you need a little more Jimbo with the clock and a little less Dan Lanning with the clock okay maybe okay. I do well I'm like I'm fired up I'm fired up take the knee and the game all right <laughs> hey, Mario all right, yeah take I'll be Mario all right that's gonna do it for us because Jack said so thanks Chris bye <laughs> if your business is like most you need things done quickly But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, metro ethernet, waves, dark fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier-grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster.